guiding, using the to plan and guide and review their work, as Erin has said, how she does it and how, you know, it just gives you a document to work with. And once the students understand that, it's really great because they get it. They, they, they realise that the rubrics are key to success and improvement. So, um, and it, ha it gives them some control over their learning, you know, some agency about how they're going to approach to approach their learning and it can motivate them to improve. Um, a lot of students, you know, they, they have that rubric there in their folio and they've got it all colour coded and mm -hmm. <laughs> they are in, you know, the, yeah, they know, you know it better than we do. <laughs> cut up and, oh, you know, like they're just absolutely obsessed. Yep. So, but others just don't care. <laughs> you know, they just, um, so anyway, so it enables them to self-assess. They can review their work. So it's a good idea to, get them to use a rubric to self-assess for their own work, you know, or peer assess, as Erin um, said. Um, seek feedback, peer review, you know, indicate to others what they have work. So they become a community of learners, which is a great, you know, great way to work. If you, if you can build that culture in your classroom, yeah. that's fantastic. And but I mean, I've worked that's in something some really that has to be done where you can't. That the peer oh. reviews and the peer feedback has to be done in subjects such as VCD. Mm. So, you know, um, through the process of being a VCD teacher, I was able to see the benefits of it. Um, but it is something that is actually assessed in VCD and in media, for those of you who are media as well, you have to be reviewing each other's work and pitching to each other and, um, so there's there's lots of benefits if if you build it in that you can you know nab from other subjects. So that's sort of where it's come from for me, um, and I I use some of the techniques that I use in BCD in art and in um, studio arts um, to so that students are seeing you know gaining from others and um, getting feedback from someone other than myself, um, or you know, it it also gets them to open up their folio and you get to see it, <laughs> that could be really helpful. Um, I, I just, I think it's interesting how you get different types of students in different subjects too. Yep. So it, it really depends on the school you're working in. Like some of my, some of the schools that I've worked in, very um, difficult schools where low literacy level, um, you can't teach to this kind all the time to this kind of level. You have to adapt yeah. your um, expectations because the students won't understand. A lot of the students will have trouble understanding something as complex as that rubric. So yeah. I just yeah. want to make you aware of that because, um, you know, I've experienced that as well. And yeah. then when I went to the other school, my last school, I, I actually really was in sort of shell shock for the first few weeks because the students were actually listening to me mm. and I sort of almost got stage fright, you know, because I was so used to <laughs> students like yeah. not being present with, you know, and I had students hanging off everyone and parents <laughs> contacting me and I just wasn't used to it. So you're going to get a diverse range. Um, you'll have a lot of students who may have, 
English as a second, third or fourth language as well. So you've got to really kind of work around those constraints. Really interesting because years ago, VCE was was nowhere near as sort of metricized as it is now, um, particularly in art, because it was seen that, you know, you would, couldn't really articulate <laughs> some of the things that were required. But um, what happened was a lot of people kind of felt that that teachers had specific aesthetic tendencies and preferences um, that were actually seen as not being consistent. So this is why we have these qualitative rubrics um, to create more equality, perceived equality in the marking process. So, yeah, you want, um, you and want they're not your meant students. to put a lid on. It's not mm. meant to put a lid on it. No, um, but it certainly, it certainly did create a little bit more transparency. Yeah. Sorry, Emma, and and um, I think sort of um, for those students who maybe are at a regional school with very limited uh, facilities, a teacher who isn't just teaching studio arts and that's all they're teaching, but they might be teaching studio arts, art sometimes within the same classroom, maybe have the year 11s and the year 12s at the same time and be teaching grade six all the way through to year 12. Um, it, what it does is it, it means that the grade that you would have given to the student in that regional school should be the same grade that the teacher at a, you know, super um, private, very expensive school, the same teacher would give the same mark. So yeah. it's just this, to be this consistent. Has been an issue, yeah, this has been an issue with arts education in general. You know, it goes back to a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in advocacy, um, you know, because the arts are still a very privileged space, yeah. you know. They are actually, um, a lot of artists come from privileged backgrounds because mm -hmm. they've actually, A, had the money to go to art school and yeah. be an artist and, you know, often receive other support to maintain an arts practice, but also, and I'm not saying that's the same for everyone, but it is very much a thing. Yeah. Um, also, a lot of people that get into the best art schools are from private schools, which have every resource, every um, amazing option that any student would ever want to take. And they generally get into a lot of the elite art schools. Mm -hmm and it becomes a cycle and a lot of the students that you know I taught in previous schools wouldn't have never been to a gallery before have never seen anything other than posters on the wall in their house yep. they've never had any access to the arts in their lives so one of the things that they've tried to do is is make it more equitable uh, more accessible the great thing now is also with online engagement in art spaces has really been fantastic. It's opened up a lot more equity for people in remote areas, arts teachers in remote areas, um, to be able to open their students up, you know, through, um, you know, through the Google platform, the Google Arts and Culture platforms, you know, virtual exhibitions, all sorts of these opportunities for people. But, you know, 
as Aaron said, it's just really hard for a little small school. And Aaron and I, our schools weren't exactly rich schools either, but they had, you know, we, we really did the best we could, but um, you know, you're up against these people who have magnificent printers and studio spaces and materials and all sorts of um, photography equipment, media equipment. And it's really, really not really fair when you look at these students and you go out there and they haven't got a working computer in the media room, you know? So, and you'll probably yeah. notice this when you go out on placement, the variations in resources available or allocated to the arts. So um, anyway, it's just something to keep in mind because you can have all these high hopes and, and, and plans and what you want to achieve, but you've got to work into the space that you, you're, you find yourself in and have realistic expectations. But in saying that, you do not have to have really good resources to be able to achieve great things right. with students. So I just want to make that clear as well. So it's good to have these discussions. Oh, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm.